Welcome to Kill Tank Radio, a 2CR production. Never scripted, always relevant, and on topics you want to hear about. Feel free to reach out if you have a suggestion or you'd like to be on the show. Today's podcast is going to be about Memorial Day. It's one of the worst feelings in the world. If you want to put it that way, that I should have been that dude. That's what the power of one leader had on me. There's some Memorial Days. If he saw me right now, he'd probably have some stern words with me about my behavior and how I act on that day or that weekend. But I think Sarkay kind of said it best. It doesn't mean and it doesn't give you the right to discredit their honor. So as we head into the Memorial Day weekend, we wanted to record a podcast talking about some of the sacrifice of individuals that we've known, we've served with, uh, the sacrifice they've made. Uh, We don't want the episode to become too somber. So we will talk about how they've also inspired, influenced us, and gave us a purpose going forward. There's a lot of stuff that's going around, you know, and you'll see it as we close into the Memorial Day weekend that say Memorial Day weekend is not about parties. It's not about barbecues. It's about the fallen brothers and sisters. It is. It is about them. Um, however, what I, what I implore everybody to kind of think about, what would they want us doing? Would they want us sitting around, being all somber, being all depressed, and grieving for their loss and their sacrifice? No. They would want us to celebrate knowing them and serving with them in the life that they lived. With that being said, I will go around and uh, let everybody introduce themselves that is in this episode. Again, I am Command Sergeant Major Burke, 2nd Cavalry Regiment's uh, Regimental Sergeant Major. My name is Staff Sergeant Koslick, and I'm the Regimental Command Group NCOIC. Sergeant First Class Raymond Halderson, and I'm the Operations Sergeant Major for uh, 2nd Squadron, 2nd Cavalry Regiment. Cougars, near and dear to my heart. And I dedicate this episode to Master Sergeant Josh Wheeler. I dedicate this episode to Specialist Christopher Gathercole, uh, who, who died over in Afghanistan in 2008. I dedicate this episode to Captain Sean English, who was KA through December 2006 in Baghdad, Iraq. All right, so it's already heavy uh, in the room. Uh, we can definitely already, you know, you can see as I'm watching you guys talk about these individuals and introduce who you dedicate it to, there's a million thoughts going through your head. And I know when I think of Josh, I think of other individuals that I've served with that have made the ultimate sacrifice. Stories and jokes and, uh, you know, even uh, some of the shared hardship we've been through definitely comes through my mind. I and mean, I definitely think about that. It's hard not to. With who wants to go first? Who wants to talk about who they're dedicating this episode to? When I first deployed, I uh, in two thousand six, I was transferred to something that's called the mid team, as a transition team. Yeah, the, uh, mid, the mid teams. <coughs> yeah. Yep. So I was a PFC. It was my first tour, and uh, when I got over there, I don't think I was mentally prepared for a responsibility like that or a situation like that. And so you know, mid teams, just for everybody's tracking, they're the first SVABs. Correct. For how long? How large of an element? Uh, we're about twenty, thirty Americans. It was a battalion size. It was an armored battalion okay. size. Iraqi battalion. Okay. Yeah, that is a lot of responsibility. You know, I was a PFC. I didn't know much. You know, <laughs> it was the first tour. It was very green behind the ears, like you like to say. And uh, Captain English took me on. He uh, he showed me a lot of attributes of a leader that okay. I took from him. You know, caring for people. Mm-hmm. Especially when his men had difficulties at home. He was there for them. Mm-hmm. Very caring. And he was a brilliant tactician. He got us out of a lot of heated moments mm. safely, I would say, and I would credit that to his expertise as a man and a warrior. You know? Yeah. You know, those MIT teams, I know there's historians that kept track of all this stuff. It'll be surreal going forward to see how many of those MIT teams had Valor's Awards because of the situations they found themselves in. Not that everybody, you know, that was deployed, you know, didn't do valorous things, but... There was definitely a collection of valorous acts that yes, happened in a lot of those mid-teams. So, anyway, all right, keep on going. I would say he was a great teacher. He was always there for us. He guided us through this entire deployment, you know. As time progressed, you became more comfortable with the environment. But he was always also there to let you know, okay, listen, don't get too comfortable, you know. I mean, it's not done yet. You're not at the end of the road. Mm-hmm. You know, you still have the to Complacency go. develops Correct. over deployments, yeah. So, in that perspective, you, you could also call him almost a dad you mm. know what i mean a dad that you needed in that moment but i mean i was young you know 26 years old you really don't know anything yeah he had a lot of words of wisdom he was married you know had sons 
I was married, I had a child, so if I had issues with the family or with the kids, could he give me some advice too? And we sit on top of the roof at night in Baghdad, and stars above us, and he give me some fatherly advice. <laughs> you know what I mean, situations like that. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's very soothing for the soul in a environment like Iraq, 2006. So, yeah, I owe him a lot. Kind of take away from the leadership aspect of that, the connection. Yeah, is I think what you continuously talked about don't know how much of your element you've sat down kind of since that time and had conversations with them but i bet he always found a way to connect with people he he connected us all because yeah. he he did not just do this for me he yeah. did it to other guys that were 18 years old when he was there he knew, he knew exactly what to say to that person then he conducted the other person brings the whole team together you know just a, a perfect leader i must yeah okay leader. the hard part sorry okay mm. what happened I returned to my unit in end of November 2006. So the med team had to go transfer me back to my my mother unit, which was a military battery station in Taji. And we were getting ready to redeploy. And uh, on the way back, I was gunning in his truck, so we had a lot of conversations. And kinda, I kind of told him, like, you know, I really don't feel like going. Maybe I, we can ask if I can stay a little bit longer. You got like a month or two left, which, you know, gun for you, RTO, whatever I need to do. He said, um... You did your time. Now it's your family's time. And I'll see you in a month. I said, okay, cool. Roger that, sir. No problem. You know, I'm a good soldier. I'm going to move out. We moved to Kuwait to redeploy. Took a couple of days for uh, us to get out of there because back in those days, you know, the whole division deploys at the same time. So it was really packed. Came back home to Fort Texas. Picked up my bags. My wife greeted me, which was insane, positive experience after this entire year of 2006. We drove back to the house, and the next couple of days was just uh, trying to get back in the groove. You know, trying to leave most of the things of 2006 behind. For some odd reason, I had the bad habit of checking casualty lists every day. On December 7, I checked the list, and there it was. Mm. Yeah. You've been home for how long? Four days. Yeah, I remember one time, you know, I flew out of Baghdad. Um, on a helicopter downtown in the green zone, flew to Biap, landed in Biap. Literally, one of my buddies had been standing tailside, and the flight that it took me to get to Biap, which is what, 20 minutes? I don't even think it's that. Not even. It's like yeah. a five minute flight. Yeah, it's like a five minute flight. He died. Like right out of the gate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, anyway, what crossed your mind? Well, first I threw a bunch of things, you know, mm. and my um, wife had to kind of calm me down. Because uh, I've never experienced anything like this. Yeah. It was more like... Nothing prepares you for no, that. No, absolutely not. No. It took a hot minute for me to game up composure, you know, not scare my wife and kids because they weren't yeah. ready for that either. I tried to come to terms with it, but it took another couple of years, actually, to come to terms with it. You know, I have to admit that. That's why Memorial Day was always a very difficult time. Yeah. Well, and, the, you know, the anniversary dates are always yeah, that's difficult terrible. as well. Um, did you go to his funeral? I wasn't able to. Okay. Yeah. That's always unfortunate when you cannot. But his, his wife called me right okay. after the funeral. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can only imagine how rough of a phone call that was. It was um. It was therapeutic. Okay. It was painful, but uh, therapeutic. Well, you know, you can connect on the, the mutual person, I suppose. It, it was weird because she knew who I was. He talked about me a lot, so she knew exactly who I was and knew more about me than some of my friends back and forth at Texas. So <laughs> it kind of me well, out. that just shows you what kind of leader. Now going forward, let's let's, let's talk about the grief and the, the anger and everything that accompanies that. You know, what did he leave you with? To care for the men you lead. Okay. To know the men you lead. Okay. Some would say you shouldn't. The more you get tied to them, the difficult it is if you lose them. I disagree. I okay. think you should. Why? Because if you don't bring them home, you still have to face the families. That is a very, very good point. That is a very good point. And, that is and they will have questions. They will have questions, and they won't want you to you know, talk about you know, the person that you served with, their family member, husband, father, whatever it might be. Thank you for sharing that, Sergeant K. Thank you for having me so much. And, well, we're not done with you yet. Oh. <laughs> I was afraid to say that. <laughs> All right. So our first class, Halderson. How many deployments do you have? I got a couple to a few different places. <laughs> How many? In total, I think I think it was 11. 11 total. deployments? Yeah, Rajasthan maybe. Between Afghanistan and Iraq? Yeah. One, one other 
country you can't talk about. <laughs> I mean, I, not as many yeah. as you, sir, Major, but... <laughs> well, you know, Levitt's a 15, I think. That's uh, something like that. Well, yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't even remember to be quite frank. Okay. What do you think about when you think about Memorial Day weekend? I mean, it obviously always makes you reflect on your years. Right. You know, reflect on the on the guys that have that have been your leaders, your peers, and and your subordinates uh, along the way. How they've shaped you. A lot of the times, they've helped you out more than you could ever repay them. As you're going throughout the day, you think about those individuals that have paid the ultimate sacrifice. Well, in some of the situations, you know, in some of the things that you know, I know you're going to talk about, but quite frankly, even you, Sergeant K captain english that you talked about yeah being a leader like you talked about okay that's not an easy thing no that's a demanding thing it was and i mean it is yeah you know and when he's on the phone with his wife he's talking about the deployment he is always switched on yeah because he was sitting there telling his wife about all of you and all the soldiers and communicating all that plus the burden of the leadership at the time and the responsibility that he had for you that entire time that's a sacrifice within itself and that sacrifice that you needed yeah was pretty huge like a sacrifice we look at it right now and it helped you through the deployment absolutely so sorry first class halderson who do you want to talk about first i want to kind of piggyback off of what the both of you were uh, having a, a discussion about being an nco it it really sunk into me the level of care that I need to, to have in this position and the effect you have on people and you don't even realize it when, you know, before deployment, you usually have the, the different get-togethers with the families. You bring them all in to have these dinners and, and it's not meant to be a final dinner or anything, but just to get everybody together to show that we are in this together. I had quite a few parents that flew in for this dinner, so we were wrapping up the night and one of my guys Lucas Robinson his mother came up to me at the end of the dinner and looked me straight in the face and gave me a hug and then kind of pulled back and said uh, please bring my son home alive and it I mean it floored me wow. you know you you think you understand mm. until you've got a mother staring you in the eyes and saying something like that you want to talk about the heaviest weight that's ever been put on your shoulders that is unbearable, and if you, you feel if you move with that weight, it will break you because it is such a burden. You can't guarantee that. You, you, you're right. You can't guarantee that. But what you can guarantee is you what, will do. Yeah. And, and what you need to rely on is what a lot – this is where a lot of people fail – is understanding the gravity of the different training events and understanding mm -hmm. the gravity of the hours put in and the sweat and the blood and the tears and all of this. All of that culminates in war and put on the line what you have trained for all of these years, you know. So, so that's what NCOs need to really understand is all of the time that you put in after hours, before hours, during the day, night, day, all of this different stuff. You put it into these guys to ensure that when you go into battle that you are better prepared than that dude that's been training to kill you his whole life. You know, especially in some of these countries that they've been... They've been fighting since they were knee-high to a grasshopper, you know, so yeah. that's how you ensure those things. I like how you talk about the gravity. I think what a lot of leaders need to understand is also the gravity of being a leader. You know, you talk about yeah. the mother put you to the side and, and trusted you, her son. we got to realize that those mothers and those those parents as a whole entrust their kids to us every single day. Yeah. So it goes, it goes way further than that. I think we've talked about it actually now in a couple podcasts because it's just it's super relevant right now, you know, with what we're discussing. As a leader, the training that you conduct, the realistic nature of it, the resiliency that's built into it is just as important as the fact that you don't do the training. If you don't do the training, then you're leaving people unprepared. The reality is, is, you know, in the unit you grew up in, it wasn't a question of if you were going to deploy. It was six months away, always. It was always six months away. Even halfway through a deployment, the next deployment was six months away. Like, you know, it was just a, like this proverbial thing that it was always six months away. 
even now, you know, in 2CR, doesn't lessen the demand to be ready because the soldiers we lead now, it might not be now. It might not be in the next year. It might be five, ten years from now. But they will face the enemy. And by then, they will be leaders. So the training you bestow in them now, the culture you instill in them now, and the fundamental baseline that you establish now will be the development, you know, and the bedrock of what they will build upon going forward. So it's absolutely imperative. So there's nothing worse than a complacent leader that cannot equate that to readiness now because it is important. People join the Army for different reasons, but the fact of the Army is it exists for one reason, and that is to close with and destroy the enemies of our country. That is the truth. Nothing but the truth. It is. Mm-hmm. You know, even as if we're artillery, you know. Closing, closing with. You know what? There's, there's going, there's going to be a time where you will call and you hope that I haul. Oh my gosh, Cole, did you hear that catchphrase? I can't believe you put, said it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> put it on a bumper sticker. Okay, but anyway, such a great point that you just highlighted there. It just goes into exactly what we're talking about. Now I'm definitely gonna kind of peel that back when I talk about Josh. Before I do, uh, I wanna, I wanna hear what you have to say and what you want to okay. talk about. Getting back to Gator, as we call him, Christopher Gathercole, at the ripe young age of 27 years old, oh, wow. um, I joined. It's always a shock to anybody's system, regardless of who you are. But let me tell you, at, at 27 years old, going through basic and airborne and then RIP mm-hmm. and going to a Ranger Battalion, it was, uh, it was definitely humbling. You know, I can remember looking over at my alarm clock every day and wondering what I did in my life to deserve <laughs> what what I was going through. So all of that culminates with my first deployment, and we went over to Iraq and rolling around Mosul with the likes of uh, Sergeant Major Felino and and yourself. So I had these. I did str- not associate with you. No, I know you didn't you back guys then. Are a bunch <laughs> of vagabonds. <laughs> So back then, maybe maybe not, you know, uh, kept us at arm's distance. I came back, and, and we lost uh, Jason Kessler on that trip. I can remember that platoon got back. And, yeah, I remember that one. And it really hit me when they got back from that mission, and then as the QRF platoon, we were told to go out. But first, clean out the striker. As a, a young-in-the-military guy, so, I mean, at that point, I may as well have been 18, not 27, because I'm staring at this and wondering, this is this is real. Yeah. Because, you know, one of the things that a lot of these different units teach you, especially 2nd Ranger Battalion, is you are invincible. Mm. You have this mm-hmm. gun in your hand, and you have these different munitions tra- strapped to your body, and here's the wall. You need to run through it, mm-hmm. like Roger. And, and that's that's what you do. So seeing this, you, you understand that maybe I'm not invincible. Yeah. So moving out of that deployment, that was that was a tough thing to go through and then moved over to Delta Company and got to second platoon Delta Company and fell into a new group of family because there's no there is nothing and I think that everybody in this room can can agree that there is nothing that bonds you to another individual than going to war with them, you know, and going through these different things. Agreed. So yeah. No matter where you're at, once those bullets yep. start flying, like All there's not as each other. That's right. I get over to, to Delta Company. It's just trial by fire. We were just stood up. And so second platoon deploys to Afghanistan after a pretty rigorous <laughs> I think we started out with twelve married couples in my platoon and ended up with three because it was just I mean, the training cycle was horrible. Yeah. Um, but that's exactly what happened. We deployed to Afghanistan, and our platoon earned the name the Nomads because that trip we moved 19 times. I mean, we were just staying out of our rucks, moving around and doing missions from different places and everything else. So moving moving into the Afghanistan trip, it was much different than, than my first trip. And so, you know, <clears throat> we get into all these moves and, and everything else, and... and all this terrain that we're walking over, like in over in Iraq, you're in. I mean, you're in city streets. You know, mm-hmm. you're 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 moving to a target pretty fast, and and you get out and you you hit it hard. You know, over 
In Afghanistan, that's a little bit of a different fight where you're throwing on all of this equipment. You weigh 70 pounds more than 80 pounds more than you did without the equipment and you're moving up a mountain and down the other side, you know, so just a much different experience. During the training cycle and then into the deployment, there was this specialist in my squad, Christopher Gathercole, Gator, as we uh, affectionately called him, who was the typical tabbed specialist in a ranger battalion. So he was a fire breather. You didn't have what he had in, in a ranger tab, and so until you earned that, he was going to make sure that you understood it. He was going to make sure that you understood everything involved in trying to get that uh, ranger tab. It was fair. It was, <laughs> he did everything pretty, pretty fair. Gator was an equal opportunity punishment guy. So, uh, or retraining, I think retraining is what we should <laughs> say. So, so <laughs> in that it taught us that we needed to be spot on with everything from a mag change to covering somebody's sector in a room to movement technique. He impressed that upon us from private up to, up to platoon sergeant. And the importance of why those fundamentals matter. Right. Moving into that deployment and going on that deployment, he was, I mean, he was the same way on the deployment that he was back in the rear. He made sure that we were training, that we were, you know, doing the things that we needed to do. And we were going out on missions at that point. It was probably an average of two missions every three nights or something like that, you know. So op tempo was still pretty heavy. One uh, morning, we got a call, or real early morning, I think it was right after... Uh, midnight but we got a call that there was a pretty high value target and that we needed to load up and go we did that and you know unfortunately i ended up getting tasked to the csar aircraft the boys went out on this mission and so we picked up in the in the csar bird the boys loaded up they went out uh onto the to target when they got to target there were it was just a scatter you know I'm, i'm literally watching this from the air we call it a star cluster. Yeah. Yep. And so... Or starburst, um, star, starburst, yep. So, yeah, they uh, they started starbursting out from target. Uh, we landed on the Y, so had... It means 300 meters out from target. Yep. Okay. Started to infill and got into the compound, and um, as they're clearing through, there was a guy with an AK that came out behind from the opposite side of the compound and, and basically started firing into the squad. And, and Gator was stitched up from, from the ground all the way up. And and so Sergeant Roberts, our squad leader, uh, James Roberts, pulled him into a room. This is the same mission that Sergeant Leroy Petrie was awarded his Medal of Honor from. You know, multiple frags come over. Sergeant Petrie throws one to the side. Uh, after all is said and done, you know, Sarm Petrie loses his arm. Gator loses his life in the process. I think uh, it was Sarnt Higgins, Daniel Higgins, and Lucas Robinson were the, were the other two that had shrapnel, quite considerable shrapnel in their bodies. We're getting radio transmissions in the helicopter. And at the time, I'm like, I'm an E4 untabbed saw gunner. And I'm turning to the guy, the one of the loadies on the on the 47, or one of the crew, and I've got him by the collar, saying, "Land this, land this bird, land this bird now," you know. And we're watching this all happen. And why? What's that? Why? Why? Why do you want him to land? The only thing you you want to do at that moment is, it's kind of the sad fact. In and maybe this is what what leads a lot of people into sort of their post-traumatic moments is um, you would rather be the one in that position. Like you would rather be, and and the crazy thing is, um, which I kind of have a hard time with, is is that uh, Specialist Gather Cole ended up moving with my squad. Like he, he was the other saw gunner in my squad, and he ended up moving with my team. Um, it was just kind of luck of the draw that I ended up being on the CSAR bird, yeah. you know, because it was my time because that was rotational. So it was my time to go. And so I go up, you know, he was the one that filled in where I would have been. And so, you, you know, you're, all these thoughts are going through your head. And I've got this dude by the collar telling him, like, hey, all you need to do is land this helicopter, land this helicopter. What's going on? You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And, again, like 
I'm essentially a private at this point. Yeah. And I want nothing more than to to do anything I can to, to get be out. with your buddies. Right. Yeah. Um, because it's just it's it's breaking your heart to to be up in this helicopter circling and you're seeing the firefight on the ground and you're seeing demolition go off and you know it's just it's it's one of the worst feelings in the world. And that was a long one. That was a long one. That mission lasted 14 hours? To, I, I, I can't even remember, <clears throat> to be honest with you. It, Roger Star Major. It, so, was a, it was an all-day affair. It was. You know, we, f- we finally landed back and linked up with the rest of the platoon. And, you know, they because there was nothing that came over comms. All, all that comes over comms are either ambulatory or whatever status. That, but there was never... From from the comms that came to me, there were never any calls about expectant or anything else. And so I had no idea yeah. uh, until the aircraft landed. We linked back up with the platoon, and then they're telling us, like, so this is the status. You know, Higgins and Robinson have been hit. Yep. Sergeant Petrie's lost his arm and may lose, you know, a, a, a leg He's or He's also platoon. shot through, through and through in his thighs as right. well. Yep. And so, and, and Gator didn't make it. It's just, uh, it's rough, you know, it's rough, especially thinking about technically, <laughs> if you want to put it that way, that I should have been that dude, you know. You should have been standing in his spot. Right. The platoon tries to pull it together. We were trying to figure out, like, where we go from here, because that, that was the first person that I had lost that had been that close to me. Right. You know, and yeah. so... At that point, you're you're trying to figure out what you can do to make this lessen the burden on other people. We were coming together as much as possible. The the reality is, you have to go back out. You know, yeah. again and it again was, and again. Right. It was just a few nights later that we went back out, and I will say that that did us more good than anything, is getting back out on target, and continuing to go back uh, out against these enemy. That are that are trying to do harm to, to us and to our country and everything else. So that was a remarkable mission. When you talk about Ranger history, uh, specifically with 275, that is probably the most referenced uh, mission. There's some other ones, you know, Reindeer and you know, Master Sergeant Leroy Petrie also received the Medal of Honor uh, on that particular mission. Obviously, warrants it um, because it was it was a definitely a, a all day affair. And by all day affair, I meant an all day firefight. Um, is what I meant um, with multiple armed combatants, um, armed with grenades and uh, assortment of other fine weaponry. So, you know, listen to you talk about uh, Gator. I think it's pretty clear to anybody listening what you took away from him. You know, I understand what you're saying about standing, you know, you should have been in his spot. I think we'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, well, you have stood in his spot. Talk about that. Talk about where you got shot. <laughs> Uh, I was, again, like I, I use this over and over. Pe- people tell me I'm lucky all the time, but I correct them and say, you know, you, you can believe what you want to believe, but I always correct people and say, no, I'm like, I'm just very blessed because there is no way in life that my life could have taken the path that it's taken. And this have been any sort of coincidence or, or things, a broken path trying, kind of fallen into place. Like, this is orchestrated. And so with that, I will say that back at the end of 2010, it was it was on a target, and it's kind of crazy. A few missions prior, mm-hmm. we had taken fire, and this was actually an objective where Adam Brown, this Navy SEAL, yep. was KIA. He passed on that mission, and one of my other buddies was shot with a through and through to the arm. Budnick, you know, he, he took a through and through the tricep and he was like almost literally returned to duty immediately, you know? So I was joking with him like, dude, how ridiculous, man. You, you take a through and through to the arm. Like now you've got a purple heart for the rest of your life. Like how license plates, (laughs) (laughs) no registration, (laughs) no registration. (laughs) Like you, you sob. <laughs> How dare you? And he's like, yeah, man. He's like, hey, go ahead. Wish, wish you had something like this all you want, but I'll tell you, like, you don't want any part of this. Like my arm hurts. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm sure it hurts. So, so anyway, this was, 
This is probably two weeks God, later. We used to joke around about the dumbest things. I know. <laughs> so, anyway, go ahead. Well, but you know that that it's our way of dealing with. That's things, exactly right? it. Yeah. And and that's what a lot of people need to understand. It it's not that we're sick. It's not that we're demented as as soldiers and as as military members. It's you have to. There's no other way. Yeah. You have to build up these coping mechanisms, and yeah. one of them is the different humor that yeah. to a lot of people seems dark, but it's really not. It's just our way of coping with everything that we've done and seen. You know, yeah. So we go out uh, a few weeks later and infill on the target, and there are these pretty big towers on the target, and I can remember moving up with my squad. We were the assault, the assault squad. I'm at the breach, and I heard a weapon going off to my right, but then there were probably 10 dudes between me and this tower. I'm like, they've got it. You know, I'm just going to concentrate on my responsibility, which is this breach. And Were you a team leader? Yes. Okay. Um, my team's behind me. We're ready to go as soon as, as soon as we deal with this contact. But then I heard a dishka, and it's a different sound. And so... I'm like, okay, maybe they don't have the right angle. Maybe I need to engage. And so I turn to engage, and the next thing I know, like, I'm on the ground. And I had no idea what happened. It felt like a, I got hit in the back by a sledgehammer. I'm trying to figure it out, and, and I'm thinking, man, like, this, is, this is horrible. I'm, I'm laying here, can't feel my legs. Like, what is happening? Finally, two guys... Uh, Sergeant Vasquez and and Sergeant Jeffers run up, grab me, <laughs> and they start dragging me. <laughs> and they also got purple hearts from dragging him as well, um, just because he is so heavy. Uh, they both are actually uh, paraplegic. Backs are broken. Uh, they can no longer. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, they start dragging me, and then first Sergeant John Lancaster. Yeah, Lancaster. Um, a legend. So he is a legend. He came up with Dr. Dominguez, and Dr. Dominguez grabbed me by the nods and yanked my head up and was like, hey, can you walk? And I said, I, sir, I can't feel my legs. He's like, well, try it. They lift me up to my feet, and I start just throwing legs in front of one, one in front of the other. And finally, I, I start to go back down to my knees, and then I'm crawling again. And then they throw me on this berm, and I kind of pull myself over. And then they get me to the... <laughs> to the medevac bird and doc rivard and doc peterson and doc dominguez are all working on me finally they find the entrance and exit and i've still got my not my nods on and Hell so i'm yeah. so i'm staring up at them right because they said keep your helmet on you know we'll cut your yeah head we off. don't want you to have a head injury yeah. right <laughs> that, that wasn't the first nor the last head injury so anyway I'm staring up at them, and I see Rivard reach over and poke Doc Dominguez and go, and he's trying to, like, lip sync this, but it's audible. Yeah. And he's like, he's losing a lot of blood. We need to get him out of here. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> I can hear you. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, Rivard, just level with me, man. Am I going to die right here? He's like, no, no, you're fine. And so, like, two minutes pass, and he reaches back over <laughs> to Dr. Dominguez and says, Sir, we need to get him out of here. And I'm like, oh, my God. you got to be kidding me right now. So, anyway, they move me a little further and set me down. And the JTAC turns to First Sergeant Lancaster and goes, he said, Hey, First Sergeant, the medevac bird is 400 meters over that way. <laughs> they're going to set down 400 meters that way. And First Sergeant Lancaster goes, Oh, F no. They're landing right here because Alderson's heavy, and we're not carrying them any <laughs> So, at any rate, the medevac bird landed. I got, uh, I was flown out, and, you know. So you took a round in. where? So it entered above my left hip, exited above my right, and uh, clipped my spine on the way straight through my body. Yep. And, you know, there, there have been very few experiences that have been better in my life. Like, it has, put in, it, is, it has put so much perspective on life and people and the military and everything else. So I'm definitely, I'm so fortunate. It's not yeah. even funny. Thank you for sharing that. You know, there's one part of this story that I really wanted to highlight. 
So you said when you initially took contact, you were you were on the breach, okay? Mm-hmm. So putting the demolition charge on the breach, running the ignition system off and everything, and you heard gunfire, and you knew it wasn't American gunfire. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no worries, there's plenty of people that are going to take care of that problem. I need to focus on the breach. Yeah. That doesn't seem like a big deal to you, but it's huge. Imagine that amount of level of trust that you have in your teammates that fire and chaos is starting to erupt around you and you're like oh i gotta breach this door that's a lot of trust that's Mm -hmm. a lot of respect that you had in those people it's pretty amazing to think about now isn't it yeah i mean it is but that's like that's where all that that's where the those late nights and those early mornings and absolutely redundance you know to a lot of guys they ask you these questions and i'm sure that you've you've had it as well where guys ask like why are we doing this again like why are we doing this oh, yeah. again yeah same old story like you maybe you don't understand why we're doing this again but let me let me tell you story one two three all the way to 50 why this matters so much you and know it takes that one time you don't do it that's, and that's, that's the right. last time you do it that's right the saying goes you know we don't you know we train so that we can't get it wrong right. you know so like, so yeah. now let's hear let's hear your story sir major yeah since you brought us here <laughs> uh, i did i did well i appreciate it and it uh you know it takes a level of courage to sit here and talk about this and it's never easy i have to caveat by saying this is out of no disrespect to anybody else that i'm not talking about i have to say that because there's so many individuals that have lost not i've lost the world's lost that quite frankly i, I, I are more closer friends so it's no disrespect to them. But, you know, the theme that we wanted to talk about was how these people have inspired us and motivated us and given us a purpose going forward. So when I take it in that light, there's not one person more than Master Sergeant Josh Wheeler that I can talk about. So I first met Josh in 2000. The other side of the story is, and, you know, I know, Ray, you've heard this, and, you know, even, even Sergeant Kay, you might have heard me tell this story. My first enlistment in the Army was terrible. My first three years in the Army was terrible. I wanted nothing to do with the Army. I could not wait to get out of the Army. I was counting the days. I was that guy that had the calendar in his room, counting down the days that I got out. Uh, Some of it was leadership. Some of it was not what I expected. But I knew that I wanted out of the Army. I knew the Ranger Regiment was not what I thought it was going to be. When I made the decision, it was not what I was going to do with my life. Suddenly, the platoon found itself without a platoon sergeant and a bunch of squad leaders. They just were no longer there, all right? The first sergeant, the sergeant major of the battalion at the time, decided to reshuffle some positions to make up for 2nd Platoon's uh, lack of leadership. So we get this guy, Josh Wheeler. I knew him because he was in BCO with me, and I thought he was one of the most obnoxious human beings I'd ever met in my entire life. He was always yelling, always, and way, way too motivated for one human being. Anyway, so he comes over. He comes over, and he's our he's our squad leader, and uh, we're getting ready actually to go on leave. So Josh comes over in the afternoon. He signs him for some property. We get released, and the next morning, there's this kicking and yelling and screaming at my door, and I'm like, "What in the heck is going on?" And my roommate Casey Casament, uh, who also uh, made the ultimate sacrifice as well, he answers the door, and he's like, "Who in the sergeant? Hey." what's up is everything okay he's like what are you guys doing it is five o'clock why are you asleep and you know casey he's an older guy you know he came in the army you know later in life as well and he's like we're sleeping because that's what people do he's like not in this squad get up it's time to start your day we got chores to do he used to always say chores i'm up and i'm like oh my god what is going on here and casey's like nope i'm done I'm out of this unit. Like, I'm not dealing with this, dude. This is my sleep. I don't want anything to do with this guy. What I learned was what leadership was. Uh, I will say that Josh was not the best tactician at times. Uh, he was not the most disciplined. He was usually generally in a state of chaos. But it was always controlled in Josh's way. Man, did we train. And man, did we get PT. And did we get after it. Every day. And uh, he used to have a saying, you do PT like it's the last time you're ever going to get to do PT before you face the enemy. You train like it's the last time you're ever going to train before you deploy and you close with and destroy the enemy. And you treat every training event and every PT session like that. And Josh did. 
his just level of energy, level of motivation, level of desire was just off the charts. He was one of the most phenomenal people I ever met in my life. He was not just that way at work. Over time, and as we grew up together, um, because eventually I became a squad leader with Josh and everything else, we became great friends, off-duty too. We'd spend leave together, installing kitchen floors, working on his, he had this crappy old truck, just was absolutely terrible. And he'd call me, like, just randomly, truck broke down, come pick me up. That would turn into, come to the house, we got chores to do, let's drink some beers, you know, and fire guns off in the backyard. It became normal, you know. He became one of my best friends. He was, he was, he was just an amazing individual. Six months after Josh came to my squad, I re-enlisted. I was a newly promoted sergeant. That's what you needed. Quite frankly, you know, I often think of this. In a six-month period, that's what happened. And that's what the power of one leader had on me. Right. And he went to the special mission unit uh, with SF over in uh, Fort Bragg. I would love to tell you our friendship continued, but unfortunately, you know, that unit and our unit, there's no time for anything else. We would talk just randomly, you know, uh, through the years. You know, I get a random like email from him and be like, hey, I'm in this random country. I'm doing this and it's really cool. You know, and I'd be reading it and be like, oh, I'm pretty sure you violated like six, <laughs> six OPSEC things right there, but okay, you know, cool, man. This is a cool email on my Hotmail. <laughs> you know, like, holy crap. When I went down to B-Knock and A-Knock and stuff, you know, for, down to Fort Benning, I drove out to Fort Bragg, you know, on the weekend, stayed with him and, and, and hung out with him as much as, you know, as I could. So anyway, fast forward to 2015. We're down in Fort Hunter Liggett. Chris <coughs> Frost, he calls me. And I just stepped out in an op order. and uh, Or no, I hadn't stepped out. I got the call while I was in the op order. Um, so obviously, you know, I didn't have my phone on me. So when I got out, I, Chris called me and I was like, oh, that's random probably knows that where i'm at you know he knows what i'm doing it's kind of random for him to be calling me and then he sends me a text message and he says hey man i need to call you i'm like okay all right that's never a good thing and ray you know and i'm sure Kay, you know you can there's people that you know um but when they sh shoot you a call makes a hair on the back of your neck girl you know go up uh when they call and they follow up with a text you need to call me you know what it means. You instantly know. Yep. And uh, so I'm, 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 riding in a, I'm riding in the truck uh, to go check on somebody. I can't remember what we were doing, but I'm actually riding with Sergeant Major Nash, uh, Adam Nash, uh, Brave Rifles, old Sergeant Major. He, uh, he's getting ready to take a fourth ID, actually. Uh, <clears throat> and I call Chris back. And this just shows you how frequent it is. When I got on the phone, I just said, who? Now, I've dealt with a lot in my life, lost a lot of a lot of brothers, but there was nothing in the world that prepared me for losing Josh. This was the one I just, I, I lost all control. I was not prepared for it. Um, and I just asked Nash to pull over, just, just to pull over, you know, and he pulled over on some side road and I just got out of the truck and, you know, between, you know, tears and anger and vomit and you know just everything you know i'm just i'm just trying to figure out what i just heard this man that and i'm a first sergeant at the time okay you know i'm a, I'm a grown-ass man at the time myself you know and this hero was dead it was uh one of the hardest things i've ever had to deal with it wasn't easy i'm gonna transition to this part and i purposely wrote this down so josh died on october 22nd 2015 in kirkuk iraq in support of uh, Operation Inherent Resolve. He was the first American killed fighting ISIS, and it was a re hostage rescue mission. You've probably seen it in the news. And Josh was shot on the initial assault. And the reason I say that is, is because a warrior went out fighting. I know Josh probably didn't want to die. No one does. You know, in the protection and leading his team, that is how he gave up the ultimate sacrifice. And even more tragic is Josh had four children. Uh, one that was a month old when he died. Ashley is his wife. Can't imagine, you know, that raising a child never have met his father, other than the day he was born and the week after. It's terrible. 
you know, it's tragic. Just to give you another idea, of, let me just tell you Josh's credentials. Silver Star recipient, 11 broad stars, four for Valor, Purple Heart, and a joint medal for Valor as well. So six total Valorous medals for bravery and heroism on the battlefield. It's pretty remarkable, and that's who Josh was. And I will tell you that Josh, not only in those time, in the time when I initially met him, he laid the groundwork for who I would become as a leader and the passion that I would have as a leader. You know, it was nothing short of remarkable of what he did with this punk corporal that hated the army and hated everything. That's when I became a man. And I understood the power of leadership. I understood the power of training. I understood the power of treating this job like it was a profession because people's lives will count on it. You know, he was the person that instilled that in me. Josh was the one that laid the foundation. And I look back at Josh and Casey Casfan, Tom Vitagliano, you know, Christopher Domey. I mean, just, just countless people. It's important that I continue to do what I do in their honor. They gave the sacrifice, they give little bits of themselves to me to develop who I became in life. And if I can take little pieces of myself and bestow those on others, well then, that's a life worth living. That's a life with purpose. And that's the ultimate honor for these individuals. It's a way to honor them and their sacrifice. That's about as deep as it gets. Definitely a sermon, Major. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Oh, man. All right. Memorial Day weekend, established in 1868, called Decoration Day. Decoration Day? I didn't even know that. Yeah. 1971, it was declared a national holiday by Congress, and ever since then has been known as Memorial Day. Before I give kind of the closing thoughts, anything you'd like to say? <clears throat> yes, I'd like to, like to say I like what you um, said in the beginning, because uh, when it first happens... When you first come back, Memorial Day is like the day you dread to celebrate. Yeah. Excuse to punch your, find a sleeping base in the bottom of a bottle. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd say that. I've seen a lot of people, most of my, some of my friends yeah. doing the same thing. You know, I'm not innocent from that. I did the same thing. It is important to celebrate their life Absolutely. on that day. And I just, because I, I think if he, if there's some Memorial Days, if he saw me right now, he'd probably have some stern words with me about my behavior and how I act on that day or that weekend. Remember them and remember their life and what they did for you and remember their families. I think that's what she, you know, those memories on Memorial Day we should celebrate. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I definitely agree with, with Sergeant K. It's like, kind of hard. I mean, he really summarized it very well. But he definitely did. Yeah. It's, you know, going off of that. <laughs> uh, thanks, Sergeant K. Tough act to follow. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it, it's okay to take a pause and remember these these people that have shaped you, have molded you, have given the ultimate sacrifice. It's okay to, to take that day and and maybe not necessarily be a little bit removed, but, you know, with that understanding and that reflection, you are a little bit reserved on that day or however you want to you wanna handle that day. But it's also okay to celebrate. Like, however you want to remember those those people in your life and and those people that have that have shaped you so much and uh that that's okay to do so um i would encourage people to to definitely do that out at 275 as as you're aware there are all of the all of the kia so on this memorial obelisk that we have and it's right in the center of our quad you know so out right out in the center of our basically our parade field in the back of our battalion we don't parade there though i mean there's a lot of stuff that goes on but it's not parade is not one <laughs> but okay so but on this obelisk uh there's a quote that that everyone uh you know when when we go out there and and on the day of passing uh that some of our our buddies were killed in combat you know you'll you'll go out there and you'll take a shot at the obelisk or you go out there and, and set up a chair and sit there for a while and, and just reflect. But on, on this obelisk, there's the old Theodore Roosevelt quote from 1910 that says, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by the dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly 
who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. And I think that that's, uh, you know, that's what people have to understand is it's about nothing more than your family and who you surround yourself with and the soldiers around you and, and on Memorial Day, those who, who gave the ultimate sacrifice. So, I, I thank you for both of you coming into the studio and sharing your stories. Uh, I know it's not always the easiest thing to do, um, but uh, it's the important thing to do. Tell their stories and remember them often, you know, as the saying goes. So as we go into this Memorial Day weekend, it should absolutely be a celebration. And we should celebrate, you know, those that, you know, went before us and, you know, they made the ultimate sacrifice. And maybe if you're listening to this podcast and, you know, you don't necessarily know anybody uh, personally, you know, that, that has died. Protecting our country, that doesn't mean that you can't, uh, you can't honor them the same you know maybe the individuals that we highlighted or maybe you know you do some research quite frankly there's not very many places you can't go into cr and do some troop or squadron and see the people that made up the organization that gave the ultimate sacrifice or you could go over by memorial gym and right there's a memorial and it's a previous dragoons that also you know gave their lives you know you could find a way to honor those um, and you can find a way to celebrate those. But I think Sarkay kind of said it best. It doesn't mean and it doesn't give you the right to discredit their honor. And uh, you have to think of these individuals and the sacrifice that they made uh, when you are celebrating and doing so responsibly in an honorable way that uh, people gave it all. They had nothing left to give, no matter if you knew them or not. They paved the way so that you could be here in some shape or fashion. And I ask everybody as they go into the Memorial Day weekend to think about that. Also, for those that maybe you're struggling uh, as we go into the Memorial Day weekend, I ask you to reach out. It's one thing to lose a buddy that makes the ultimate sacrifice. It's another thing to lose a fellow service member, a friend, that ends up taking their own life. If you are struggling, it's okay. We all do from time to time. I even shared a little bit of my own struggles. Reach out, connect, talk to somebody, be it a chaplain, be it a friend, be it a leader, be it, you know, anybody that we have working over at the, the clinics. That's okay. Whatever means, just reach out because it will be okay and you will make it through it. So I wish everybody a happy Memorial Day weekend. People have gave sacrifice so that we could be here. We should be happy about that and we should celebrate that. This is Jagoon7 signing off.